Hey mama, and welcome to part one of two of my miscarriage story. Yep, it took me that long to tell this in detail because I think I hadn't really told it to anyone aside from the people that were living it with me at the time. And you know, it's been an incredibly humbling experience for me because I just had no idea how much pain and hurt you could feel by such an early loss. Both of our miscarriages, we've had two, have both occurred within 2020. And so it's all still pretty fresh and pretty new. And I am honored to be able to tell you the story today. And if you are sitting there, if you are if you are living in this right now, I just want you to know that you are justified in how you feel no matter how early the loss was. So before we head into it, I want to read a review. Loving the podcast, KD Mom of Three. She says, Sarah has such a vibrant and relatable personality. She's extremely sensitive to all aspects of motherhood and truly cares about building a community. I can't wait to listen more. Katie, mom of three, thank you so much. You guys, I can't say it enough how much these mean to me. And I truly believe that some of these reviews are really what makes a woman who's going through a tough time finally push play on something and hopefully hear words that give her comfort and support and love so please if you haven't left a review please go leave a review and yours could be the next one that I read on an episode all right without further ado let's hop into my miscarriage story part one art intro jingle hey mama and welcome to episode 10 so I thought that since we were honoring the month of October which is national pregnancy and infant loss month that I would also share my own story of miscarriages. While I would never, ever wish this pain on anyone, I can't help but feel a little thankful for where it has landed me. I'm here with you, and I'm getting to listen and share women's stories and bring a voice to my own. And when you do this, you realize that speaking about the hard stuff, like you realize how really truly how hard it can be It just brings a whole other layer of just astonishment and just utter love for these women who are coming on here and sharing their stories. And you know, it's not just hard because you're reliving the moments, but it's a whole other kind of vulnerable. I have always been the type of person to wear my heart on my sleeve. And so, and I do that because it's been easy for me because I'm a mushy, gushy, emotional person, but also because now I know that it has a major impact on the people who hear it. So I'll be here all day, every day to get vulnerable with you, to share my stories, to share my heart, to share my fails, to share the things that have humbled me because I want you to know that you're not alone and I want you to know that some of the emotions that you're feeling are totally normal and just because people aren't talking about it doesn't mean that they're not feeling it. So let's just get into the story. Let me start off by telling you too that, you know, we've been incredibly blessed along our parenthood journey that we've not had to deal with infertility issues. I don't mean to rub this in and I hope that any of you who are listening to this that are going through that infertility battle, I hope you know that I'm just, I'm giving you a huge hug right now as I say this because I don't want it to hurt your heart. But, you know, we we have been blessed. We've gotten pregnant really early, very quickly. We got pregnant within three months of trying to conceive with Miles and just um, about that with our with our first pregnancy after Miles, which ended up being our first miscarriage. 
this pregnancy was totally planned, though I think we were a little bit surprised by how quickly it happened all over again. So we're still going through a lot of things at this time. We're still in Kodiak um, and we're still living in just a kind of kind of a fearful time in our lives and still unsure of where life was about to take us. <laughs> but we were also full of a lot of joy and I think excitement too because we were getting ready. You know, we were like so close to taking that next step, that first step in the next chapter of our lives. There were just some loose ends that were had to be tied up and we had to kind of push through some like last, last events that kind of just set us free. And of course, this is all moving from Kodiak and separating from the military. And so we actually were, we were in Idaho. Cameron was, was there because he had a few interviews. We decided let's make a trip of it and really go explore this potential new homes of ours and get a feel for what kind of life we want and where we want to go next. And I, of course, brought some pregnancy tests with me because I knew that we were getting close to that time and I wanted to make sure that I knew. <laughs> I finally decided after three positive tests that I would finally let Cameron know. And because I'm mushy-gishy, I had to make a plan. And so what I did was we had done some shopping around the Sandpoint area and I was kind of just keeping my mind, my heart open for, for ideas on how to tell him. So I found this tiny, tiny little panda, and the panda has a significance because we have this stuffed panda that one of our buddies, Jimmy, gave to Miles for his first birthday in Kodiak, and it was really, truly has been the first and the most loved stuffed animal of Miles. And so, and we had been waiting for that moment, right? Like waiting for him to pick a stuffed animal that he loved. For whatever reason, it was just like one thing, one milestone we were really excited about. And so he had finally kind of latched onto this panda and so I found this little pan and I thought, oh, that's just so perfect, you know. And so I had made this plan that we were going to head out on the road, take go from Sandpoint and drive to Montana, which is where Cameron's brother and family had just moved to in the last six months or so, and go spend Christmas with them. And so I thought, okay, when we get to the rest stop, I'll make some excuse, head back to the car and somehow position this panda like on the steering wheel or something in the car so that when he gets in the car, he sees it and then you know, can like connect the dots. So that's what I did. <laughs> when you get to a rest stop, I don't know, I made some excuse, like I needed to go get my hat. And I put the little tiny panda up on a steering wheel and went back to him. We made our way back to the car. I get in the car first. I set my phone up because I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be so sweet. I can't wait to catch its reaction. He gets in the car and he kind of does like a, like a pullback, like, oh, what the heck is that? And then he looks at me, like, slightly confused, and I was like, do you know what that means? Do you understand? And I'm pretty sure he said it out loud, you're pregnant? And smiled at me, looked over, and put his hand on my leg and gave me a couple pats, and then we hugged. It was, like, the most anticlimactic <laughs> experience and response, but... Whatever. Anyway, we were really happy. I was really excited. We head on the road and wouldn't you believe that I ended up getting really, really sick. Like we were driving. I can't remember. It was like an eight hour drive, I think. And I just mile by mile was just fighting nausea. And I thought, no, like I didn't have any morning sickness with Miles. I didn't feel sick at all. 
you know, usually driving in the car does not make me sick. What the heck? This cannot be happening. <laughs> I do not want to live my pregnancy sick. Turns out I ended up ha getting food poisoning. I think that's what it was. And to tell you the truth, looking back on this incident, I have always kind of wondered if maybe that fever and that trauma to my body caused the miscarriage. But, you know, that's the thing with miscarriages you, that you don't know. You often just have no, no, no idea. So, of course, we get to Montana and I don't know if it was that night or the next day, but we ended up telling Cameron's brother and his family and we were all just really happy and excited and it's just such a joyous thing to celebrate and, you know, it was Christmas and so I couldn't help but be feeling so thankful and warm and happy and full of love and I love being pregnant, you guys. I just, I never, ever took took being pregnant for granted. It was the most magical experience I have ever had. I truly feel so terrible for women who don't get to experience this or just like sick their whole pregnancy and just struggling the whole time. I really truly like feel for these women. So if you're out there, girl, I'm so sorry. I love you. I, I wish it were different for you. I wish you could experience it and it's full bliss. Anyhow, you know, after this, we made it back home to Kodiak and we slowly started letting family and friends know. And what I want to tell you right now is that I had made a pretty conscious choice from the very beginning that I didn't want to wait till the 12 week mark. And what's interesting is I felt this way with Miles. I wasn't super vocal about it. We had kind of thought, okay, we'll just tell our super close family and friends, but everybody else will wait. Well, this time around, I decided that I... Like I was just going to tell tell pretty much all of my friends and family. If it came up in conversation or if we were hanging out with them, I was going to let them know. I wanted them to celebrate and live in our joy. And I simply, honestly, knew that miscarriage was a possibility because it's if you are in like the realm of motherhood at all or journey truly, like you can't ignore the statistics. They're, they are like, they are thrown at you. But I knew that if that were to happen, that I did not want to live it alone. I knew that... If that were to happen, I would want to be able to talk about it. I would want my family and my friends to know when I'm having a really bad day, when I'm hurting, when I just seem like I'm going off a deep end, I want them to know that that's happening because I'm going through I'm going through a loss and I'm hurting. So that is why we decided to tell our family and friends early on. I know that is not everybody's choice and that is fine. It's a choice that you should make. I just think that it is worth saying that don't just not tell your family that you're that you're pregnant before 12 weeks because you think that's just the thing that you should do and that you're trying to like save them hurt, which I, I get, I understand that, but is that really truly what you want or do you feel like that's just what you're supposed to do? Anyhow, moving on. So we're home, we're in Kodiak, really happy, you know, letting family know. And, you know, January rolls around and Cam has finally accepted a job in Florida. <laughs> we ended up going, deciding that the Idaho just probably wasn't the best place for us in time and life with money, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so we were ready to make this move to Florida. And I was feeling really pregnant. I was showing all the typical signs that I remembered with Miles. And, you know, we're shopping for homes and we're thinking about becoming a family of four. You know, we're thinking about the bedrooms and the location of the bedrooms and the house itself. And, you know, not going to lie, I was slightly dreading being heavily pregnant in the heat of Florida and summertime when we got there. But I was also dreaming about, you know, 
maternity sundresses and swimming in this, the pool that's in our community and you know how much I loved floating and being in the water when I was pregnant with Miles and you know, I was dreaming up Miles' first real Halloween with his new sidekick and what costumes they would wear and what family costume we would have and you know I'm, I'm imagining finally getting to the lower 48 in your family and having having them be able to be around and watch this new child grow and watch me be pregnant. I didn't get that with, with, you know, when we lived in Kodiak, we were so far, we were so disconnected during that time. And, you know, we were having conversations about whether it was a boy or a girl. And, you know, I was so excited about the thought of maybe it being a girl this time. And so we're chatting about that and, you know, what she would look like and what names and and, you know, we had decided, too, that we weren't going to find out the sex. We, we did the same thing with Miles. We didn't know the gender until until birth, and we loved it and were obsessed with it. And so we definitely had made the, the decision that we were going to do the same thing with this baby. You know, I head into my first real appointment with a doctor to get an ultrasound. And I love my doctor, and I consider her a friend now she was actually she was actually my doctor when I was pregnant with Miles and she ended up helping deliver him and she was Miles's pediatrician afterwards so the way Kodiak works because it's so so small there's usually more like general doctors so they kind of touch on a lot of those areas so the person you see for OBGYN is often also the pediatrician so I loved her. She was amazing. She always made me feel so good. We were, a lot of our values were very similar. And she actually ended up having a babe around the same time that Miles was born. And so we were pregnant together and her her little girl ended up being breached too. And so, you know, we, we shared that experience and, you know, the C-section. Going to this appointment, I was so excited. It felt so good. I was feeling good. She actually had someone that was training with her at the time. So he was in there with us and just felt good. A lot of a lot of joy and positivity and, and just good energy. And so then finally, you know, they laid me down to do a top belly ultrasound. And what's really funny about this, funny and sad, is that I don't know what triggered me to do this, but I thought it would be funny if I came out of this appointment with some news or information and played a little trick on Cameron and told him that we were having twins, that there was two heartbeats. And so I'm laying down the table and I, I told her this, you know, I'm like thinking about it in my head and she's moving things around and we're talking and, you know, I could tell a few minutes of her doing this, you know, her tone and her face just, you know, it wasn't loving what she saw. And so for one, we should have heard a heartbeat. I was roughly eight weeks at this time. She told me that the baby was measuring about six weeks and three days, so measuring small for what the age should be. She told me what her thoughts were, She was, and she was really realistic, also being very compassionate and empathetic. You know, she basically said that that's not a good sign, and most likely I have miscarriage, but to be safe, we should go ahead and schedule a transvaginal ultrasound at the hospital. I was, of course, just shocked and was not expecting that at all. And I was scared and I was heartbroken. And I was also really just wanting to not believe everything she was telling me. And so I, you know, walked out of the doctor's, doctor's office. I was 
for the most part, somewhat pretty composed. I think I was still in shock. And I called Cameron when I got in the car. And and this hospital is just really down the street from where we live. So I was home really quickly and I called him to let him know. And he met me at the house a few minutes later. And we just held each other and we cried. And I told him, you know, maybe she's wrong. And, you know, he could be just measuring small. I know that our predictions for due dates are not accurate and... You know, I was really trying to create a plausible story and answer for how she could have been wrong. You know, we had a kind of a little scare when early on with Miles. You know, we didn't get a heartbeat right away around that five or six week mark. And so they sent us back in after another week. And sure enough, there was his heartbeat. And so I just thought, this is this is just how my body grows a baby. Like, it's they're just small in the beginning. And so then our appointment rolled around. We ended up getting in that very same day to go in for this appointment, this transvaginal appointment. So we get to the hospital and I went in with all the hope and, you know, the belief and trust. And of course I'm laying there and I'm not hearing the heartbeat. Cameron is looking at the screen. He's not hearing or seeing the heartbeat. I couldn't really look at the monitor. I think I was so nervous and thought, I just, I'm not, I don't, I knew I didn't want to interpret information I saw incorrectly. And so, you know, she was really quiet the whole time. And, and if you've ever had one of these, right, like you, they can't tell you anything. (laughs) The tech can't tell you anything. They're not supposed to. And it's the worst. You have to wait for the doctor to essentially review and then call you the results or, you know, she was really quiet the whole time and you could tell. She began to speak a little bit more somberly, though. So I think we both kind of picked up on that. And I just held back tears and was squeezing the life out of Cameron's hand the whole time. And we ended up, I got dressed and we left the room and we're walking down the hall and Cameron started to tear up. And he told me that, you know, she just kept looking for this heartbeat and it wasn't there. And, you know, it just stayed flat. That line just stayed flat. And then he handed over an ultrasound picture that she had given him. And apparently she just said, you know, some people, some people want these. I had no idea what to do with this thing. I was just like, I'm not like, do like, you know, normally I would take pictures of them and send them to family and put them on the fridge. And, you know, we did keep that picture a little while. I think it was actually below one of Miles's ultrasound pictures that I had just kept them in the fridge. And eventually I ended up throwing it away. And, you know, so as things go, what usually happens after something like this is they schedule another ultrasound for a week out just to make sure. And even though I'm pretty sure everyone knew, you know, this time also gives, uh, um, I guess, enough time for your your HCG level. So when they draw blood, you know, to be able to see a difference and also confirm along with an ultrasound that you have, in fact, lost a baby, right? Like if your HCG drops, they know that, you know, that coupled with a no heartbeat is a signifier of a miscarriage. And, you know, I do think that I knew deep down for sure that I was going to go back in for this ultrasound and they would have been right. But somehow I just created evidence, continued to create more and more evidence that they were wrong about the dates and that I was going to go in there and the baby would have grown a little bit and everything would be fine. But in this week, I think reality kind of would ebb and flow a little bit in this you know I would go back and forth between just crying my eyes out out of pain and heartbreak and sadness and disbelief and 
confusion and asking the questions of why, you know, and not getting answers and studying dates. I was just studying the dates, right? They just, they had to have been wrong. They were just wrong. My due date was just later, just like Miles. So of course, we went back in for the second transvaginal ultrasound at the hospital and it of course was confirmed. You know, I did get a call from my doctor confirming that with that ultrasound and the HCG blood draw that we confirmed that I had miscarried. And so then it's, then it's decision-making time. It's what do you want to do next? Do you want to just let the baby pass naturally? Do you want to take a pill and essentially kickstart the miscarriage process of expelling everything? Or do you want to go on for a DNC? And I struggled with this a little bit because I knew that my body hadn't been showing signs yet of its miscarrying on its own aside from just the no heartbeat and whatnot. There really wasn't a lot of like hemorrhaging noticeable during the ultrasound. And so, and I really didn't want to go in for a DNC. I just thought that that trauma of surgery and just the whole process of it, I just, I just didn't feel right. And I actually had a friend that was really trying to talk me out of doing the pills, which I ended up doing because she just, she lived the pain herself and explained that it was just excruciating and was one of the worst things that she'd ever experienced. But for whatever reason, I just, I really felt like that was the route for us to go. So the rest of this day, we just decided to take a drive for the rest of the afternoon. And, you know, we nibbled on some cookie and coffee from one of our favorite places in Kodiak, Java Flats. And we just drove through, drove to where there was no service and through the winding roads and the mountains. And, you know, we were just going between feeling numb like we had no tears left to broken and crying all again. And you know, what's really crazy about this is, you know, I thought I had prepared myself for this possibility. I mean, I remember having conversations with my friends saying, you know, I'm, I have a mentally and emotionally, you know, try to prepare myself just, you know, I know that these things can happen. I remember saying this out loud, but what was so surprising was I felt entirely unprepared for the pain that consumed me. And the experience was truly humbling for me because I know in years prior, before before I had my first baby, before I even thought about getting pregnant with Miles, you know, I would look at early miscarriage posts or stories or something and, you know, think, surely you didn't have that much time to feel that hurt. And I think about my ignorance now and it seriously makes me just sick and it's truly painful to tell you this like it's embarrassing and I just feel so icky about it but it's the truth and I had no idea and you and that's the thing is you don't know the pain until you have lived it you truly don't and so you know this is why I'm here and why this podcast is alive you don't know unless you live it or you or you can relive it and be educated from other stories and so you know I really was I was really surprised by how hard it all was. I didn't expect this to happen to me, even though people tell you over and over again how normal it is. But I didn't feel like it was normal because no one was talking about it. Like no one, people might like make a post here and there, like, you know, some kind of like little picture that has an angel that says, you know, still remembering you or think about you every day. But no one actually talked about the emotions, talked about what it felt like, told me what to expect. None of this happened. It was a topic that while the stats were were well known and people felt really comfortable 
<laughs> they felt so comfortable sharing these statistics with me when this happened. I felt so alone and I felt like no one really truly quite understood my pain. But, you know, a day or so later, I took the misoprostol, it's the pills you take, and experienced truly three hours of, like, pure hell and labor pains and, you know, going from the tub to the toilet and making some pretty primal noises. I can also say it was, like, the worst pain of my life. I can imagine that some of those labor pains are what you'll feel in, in full-term full term labor. But, you know, instead of a baby at the end, it was remnants of what I had lost. And, you know, Megan said something, Megan Stouffer said something in our interview that made me recognize my own similar emotion, that when she was induced for her stillbirth with Connolly, she, she refused pain meds because she felt like she deserved every ounce of pain because she felt like her body had failed her. And I think this is a part of what drove me to my decision to not get a DNC. I think it's so interesting to hear someone say something out loud and you're like, oh my gosh, like, yes. That is, I, that, I feel that. I felt that. I felt like I deserved to feel it all and live it in a way that I truly experienced all of it. The ugly, the hurt, the painful, the gross. <laughs> you know, but I also just wanted it to be over and done with so that I could just move on. And so a few days later, after the contractions and the cramping stuff, I was left with the tasks at hand. You know, because we had so much going on and we were creating this new life. And I kind of left my pain there and just looked forward. I think I thought, okay, I've become that 30-some percent that keeps being thrown in my face. I've paid my dues. We'll try to have another baby as soon as possible, as soon as we're able. So we carried on, and we moved. And we were feeling really excited and really hopeful. And we were about to start this brand new life. We got to Florida at the end of February. We closed on our house. We spent a few weeks getting the house ready for household goods. And then my dad has a stroke around the second week of March. And so I took off on a road trip by myself and ran to Texas to see my stepmother and and be with my siblings. I nursed Miles for the very last time in the car right before I hit the road. Because if you remember, COVID hit right around now and so much was uncertain. And as much as I really wanted my family with me, it just, you know, it just didn't make a lot of sense and it was too risky at that time. So after all that was done and over with, I returned home the day before our household goods arrived, before all of our furniture and everything. You know, we worked to get settled, Cam started his new job, and we started our new life. And I am very much a person that when I'm in grief and loss, I just focus on what's in front of me, what has to get done, and I just do it. It's definitely my coping mechanism, but I don't feel like I do this and suppress my emotions I speak them and, you know, I cried when I needed to and I talked it out with my sister and my mom and Cameron and friends. And I also look for beauties or positive points of all of it. And I recognize that, you know, it's all temporary, the pain. I've, I've experienced pain and struggle before. And while it sucks when you're in it and it hurts, I do know that in time it, it fades a little. It's probably always there. You always have those memories. You always have those traumatic events, but the pain of it, does dull a little bit and I know that it might sound super messed up for you to like think about silver linings in some of these cases but you know I was I got through some of this by thinking you know maybe the strain of the move and COVID and my dad passing would have meant for a later loss in that pregnancy anyway you know maybe God was just saving me time and saving my body a little bit less trauma 
you know, maybe, maybe I would have put so much strain due to the stress, you know, on my baby that, you know, there could have been other problems. You know, we have more time as a family now of three and I can spend more time in loving and giving more attention to Miles for now. <laughs> you know, maybe my dad would have just keeled over anyhow if he would have had any kind of an opportunity to live through the chaos of what our country is going through. You know, better he missed all of this anyway. Again, I know that it probably sounds messed up, but it was a way for me to pull myself out of the negative talk and a way for me to look at or look away from from digging for answers, which rarely can be seen when you're in the midst of struggle in the thick of grief. <laughs>